Okay, we are uh, we are in uh, Titus uh, lesson five, and uh, we were uh, it had to do with verses thirteen through sixteen, and uh, we had uh, we had <coughs> we had gotten down. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Take that back. We're lesson four. I'm making notes on all my notes, so. And we had, uh, lesson four has to do with uh, verses 10 through 12. And that, uh, regarding uh, rebellious men and empty talkers and deceivers within the body. And, uh, that they, uh, must be silenced. And they are upsetting whole families, uh, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. And then he, uh, verse 12, he says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So we had gotten down to almost finished uh, with uh, question five, but we had started into five where we were talking about the term must be silenced. What does that mean? We duct tape all their mouths so they can't talk. We shout them down. We tell them they have to be quiet. What? How do you do that? Um, it means uh, uh, I put some notes in that uh, uh, must be. The word must here is exactly the same word that the Lord Jesus used when he was talking to Nicodemus, and he said to him, "You must be born again. It's essential. It's got to happen." Okay. This is the same word. They must be silenced. So it means uh, uh, it means a pawn, something on the mouth, like a bridle or a bit, uh, with something over the mouth, a gag. <laughs> I can't envision a bunch of uh, Christians. Going after somebody who's a false teacher and gagging him. <laughs> but, <laughs> Watch out, Mike. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Might want him, but yeah. <laughs> so. Well, so how does that work? Like, how, how do you, how do you do that? You know, that's my question. I mean, it's very, stop the mouth. Uh, Put something into the mouth. Um, it's, it's like uh, putting a bunch of stuff up in a water pipe to get it to stop flowing. That, that's the that's the metaphor. So it means to reduce to silence. Um, how do you do that? I think you just don't give them the opportunity to to speak. To you know, we've we've had people who have been off track and you know you take them aside you tell them you know that's not what we teach you don't give them a forum for that that speaking if they you know are addressing people you know Mm -hmm. outside and doing this you address that problem you can't be doing that you can't be sharing that with people right you know so i I, you know it's and remember this and unfortunately it's mainly incumbent upon the elders to do this you know, this is the talking about elders and what they do, but it's also for us too, that if somebody is speaking, 
you don't give them an audience, you don't give them a forum, you don't do that. And you, yeah. you address it, you, you silence them by saying, you know, you can't, you can't say that. And yeah. if they, you know, it's, it goes through the whole thing of discipline and, you know, whether you, you know, don't allow them to fellowship with you, there, I mean, that's the drastic end, but. Well, it's interesting because there, when we see a phrase like they're, um, you know, they're, uh, as he put it, they're, they are upsetting whole families. In this context, it's not only family, it's a church family because the churches were all in people's homes. So they're, they were upsetting not only individuals in the home, but everybody who met there, you know. And, and, uh, I want to say we have, in, I mean, I, I've been teaching a long time and there's always somebody coming down the road that shows up in your, your class that, uh, wants to be heard and wants to have an opinion. And sometimes it's not too, too difficult to deal with that circumstance. Other times it's really hard. It's really, really hard. You know, I, I give you one example years ago. We had a guy show up in the men's Tuesday Bible study and we were still out of Betty's place and he was a one nature guy. So he was, everything I said, he was challenging me and challenging me and challenging me. And so I said to him, I said, so you, I said, so you believe that this, when, when you were crucified with Christ, the sin nature died, right? He said, absolutely. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. If you're willing. I said, next week, you get the floor. You come in here prepared with your your A game and uh, lay it out to us. And then the next week, I get the floor. He said, okay. And it worked because uh, he laid it out. The guys, most of the guys there had been taught pretty well. They didn't buy into the one nature position because it doesn't make sense when you start getting into it. And the next week, and then, uh, so I, at the end of that, you know, I said, you know, if you're sure welcome to come back, but you, you have to know what kind of audience you've got. And I know that you've been taught by Charles Solomon to, to, to take over and, and persuade everybody that you're right. I think we've proven that you're not. And so he didn't come back. Well, that's one method. Another method is, Take them to the side. I don't know. You know, at some point, with one guy around here was out in the parking lot passing out tracks. He was an ultra dispensationalist, and we had to tell him to stop. And and he did, you know. But it there's it. I think it's pretty common. Not that you're not entitled to express your opinion, but. Uh, you know, I think the bottom line is, is, uh, what does the word have to say about what you're saying? That's, if it's, if it's there, uh, then you have to study it out. If it's not there, you know, the one who doesn't, can't back up what he's saying has to be quiet or, <clears throat> what do you think? Is that I've been pretty about this a lot. Um, Mike, I'm sorry I interrupted a little bit there. Oh, go. 
Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, obviously, like Courtney said, we're talking about overseers here in this this context. Um, but <clears throat> you know, when I think about getting opposition and the, this idea of silencing and gagging, you know, what is the gag? Um, what's the thing? And um, my mind just gravitates back to First Peter three fifteen. And first of all, it's a personal responsibility. Um, and then it has an outcome. And so first Peter three fifteen says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So that's a you thing. Um always being ready, that's a you thing. To make a defense to everyone who asks, that's a you thing. And give an account for the hope, and that's the key word I think in that verse, that is in you, yet with and then how it's done, gentleness and reverence. So the thing is, is that we know that God's word doesn't return void. We're talking about sound doctrine here in the context of Titus chapter one and the importance of the overseer uh, adhering to sound doctrine and being able to deliver it. And I think that first Peter three fifteen kind of sheds a little bit of light in the fact that, you know, we, we go tit for tat. You know, we pull out our apologetics training and it's like, you know, we, we get real quick on how to defend the faith, but, um, I think what's interesting in, in, in the passage I mentioned there is that hope is the, the central goal there. It's the hope that you have. It doesn't mean that they have it. Um, it doesn't mean that they understand it. But it doesn't return void when it's based on the scripture, when it's sound doctrine. And so that's just one of the verses that, that kind of came to mind. And, and, you know, even if you're, you're dealing with a, a fellow that's handing out tracks in the parking lot, you know, you're still, you're, you're, you're providing a, a defense that, hey, this is, this is not sound doctrine. Um, we do have a hope that is sound and, and it, and it goes like this. And, you know, you do it with gentleness and, and reverence, um, even still. So just some thoughts. Yeah. It's, it's, um, how do I say this? I think that, uh, um, the hope has to be visible in you. You, you have to, um, you have to, under grace, you have to have, you have to arrive at a place where you do study God's word all the time. You check him out. You, ch- you, you know, you just don't go to Sunday school and the main service that you actually have a practice in your life of reading God's word and absorbing what it says and fellowshipping. And so you're, you're, uh, equipped maybe is the way to put it. And so, and it then talks, it, it talks further about good conscience. Um, when you're being slandered and mm-hmm. your good behavior in Christ will, mm-hmm. you know, it, it won't be put to shame. So, uh, it's definitely not an outward um, battle that that you can judge in such a way of like, oh, that that overseer, that elder, really won that battle. Um, no, you know, no. it, that's not the silencing outcome that you get. Um, but what you do get is you 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 get the word of God being correctly conveyed, and that hope that you have, like you're talking about, that's personal to you. And those are things that that don't return void. You know, so also just going back, you know, we take these in verses and words and stuff. But if you go back again on the qualifications, of the elders, 
which again, this is in context, not that again, we, we don't fall into this also as far as our refuting, but, uh, for the qualifications, it's in verse, what, eight, whole or nine, holding fast, this for the other, holding fast, the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. So you have to know the scripture, be, you know, faithful to it so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So it, it's incumbent to be <laughs> knowledgeable, uh, you know, and you're, you're teaching according to the word and that, that you exhort with sound doctrine. And the purpose to be is to do exactly what it is, refute or contradict, the, the, or to refute those who contradict. I must so. say, Courtney, I'm not a very good reprover. <laughs> <laughs> it's cause, you know, I'm incorporating uh, question six with this, Paul gives a reason that they do what they do. And they do it for financial gain. That's what they do it for. Well, uh, you know, uh, Barclay in, uh, said that when a teacher or preacher looks on his teaching or preaching as a career designed for personal advancement and personal profit and gain, he's, he's in a perilous condition. <laughs> I like that. So, but one, one last thing I've got to say about this. There are those I've found in, in, uh, Bible studies, Sunday school, churches that um, aren't in it for the money, but they're in it for the uh, to be recognized as someone who really matters. Uh, that they're scholarly, that their their opinion matters, or they're always looking for the one little thing in in a class where they can take issue with it and usually it's a minor thing you know it's like well how many Jews did cross the Red Sea you know stuff like that and you 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 uh, what, what's the phrase for that uh, um, yeah, there's a a phrase for that but I, I think that uh, I, think, I think it's called a me monster <laughs> <laughs> yeah Straining at the nose. one up them. You know, there's always a one upper out there. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I say Charles Spurgeon had a young guy come into his office and he was having this debate with Spurgeon. And so Spurgeon was talking to him and Spurgeon stomped on his foot and showed right away he had a sin nature. That's a true story. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna remember that. Stomp on your foot. <laughs> now I know what I'm I'm in for uh, next time. <laughs> yeah, and you, you, and you can't lift the good leg yet. So <laughs> I know. I know it. <laughs> so you, you do deal with that. The thing is, is that you know I think. Not only the elders, and they have a, a responsibility, but also the, the whole body of believers really need to be aware that, uh, it, well, sometimes it's that they haven't come, come along far enough 
They really don't know what they're talking about. They think they do, but they don't. Um, sometimes they have whatever motivation they have, you know. And sometimes you let the Lord work that motivation out of them. Sometimes you have to step in. So, all right, Courtney, you're up. <laughs> okay, you were six and seven or whatever. Yeah. I did. I did six. I incorporated it into five. I just gotta say, I thought we didn't have to move miles back to November of October twenty-fourth. I, I, I'm. I'm not sure what you're tracking down there on questions, but I had another thought. Um, yeah, go. You know, one of the things that the silencing behavior is, is again, to Courtney's point, we're talking about overseers, but, you know, silencing the sin nature. Um, you know, how, how does one even silence their own sin nature? And it's the exact same way that you silence false doctrine. Um, and it, it's always it's always grounded in, in truth. Um, the flesh is always, and false teachers are always set to interfere with. I mean, that's their nature is to interfere with truth, to counterfeit it. Yeah. And so I was just thinking about you know this this issue of silencing is is really important because it starts personally even with the believer and a lot of the instances that you're talking about. You know, that whether it be in the parking lot or somebody that walks in or whatnot is, um, you know, it's the same in the sense that you're, you're silencing the sin nature. Someone that maybe has an issue with pride or wants to one up a situation, but that's our sin nature that it does the same thing to us. And so how are we approaching? There's only one authority that, that silences, um, and so, yeah, I was thinking about that too. All right. Courtney, you're right. I, uh, took my, page, some pages out and put them back in. You're right. I still have a couple of questions. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Now well, December of 24 for miles. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's my fault. Um, so question eight is what did the false teachers, what did this false teaching do? And we kind of already addressed that. Uh, what's interesting is, is that you have to look at these people. They were very skillful in what they were doing because they were destroying entire families and church families. So they're, and we, we, we have in your lifetime, you know, you've gone to, uh, classes, uh, uh, Bible conferences, uh, seminars where, boy, the teacher was spectacular. But he didn't really know what he was talking about. Something like a politician. You know, they sound so convincing, but they don't know what they're talking about. Because, because they don't, they don't base what they, like, like one of these, um, a good example would be someone who is a real advocate for, um, um, the Green New Deal. They never look at the facts. You know, it's based on what somebody else assumes is correct. You know, uh, so 
the effectiveness of the one who, the skillfulness of the one who is a false teacher, uh, you, is the, the more effect, the more skillful they are, the greater emphasis there is on to silence them. Does that make sense? You know. I have a story. Yeah. Interested. I got silenced once. Um, oh, God forbid. Yeah, uh, Mike Doyle. I, I don't know if you've heard of him, but no, uh, this actually happened when I first, I was very excited about, um, uh, about my faith and, and, and in doing so, my zeal got away from me a little bit, but, and I didn't know, you know, I talked, I, I've, I've talked to you about on Monday nights about the, the one naturism that, that kind of swept through, but I was a little confused about, creation and this whole gap theory and all of that stuff. And I was teaching in a class. It was a college class. And, you know, there's several thousand college students in Lubbock. And uh, I had a really cool audience. And I was very zealous, like I said. But I, I got away and, and started teaching these things that weren't quite, I mean, they would be not sound doctrine because they were not founded in the scripture around creation. But Jeremy Thomas actually pulled me aside and, and asked me to go to coffee. And he sat me down and he walked me through the creation story in the scripture and explained to me um, how God's word fits together and how the hope is actually interconnected. And every single phase of what God revealed about himself um, built on itself. And, you know, through the nation of Israel and teaching Israel and, and now teaching us. And, and so it wasn't, it was probably three or four hours of sound doctrine that, that Jeremy shared with me where I backed down. And I remember just thinking, man, I was so stupid when I thought that, um, because it didn't align with God's work. But that was a situation where there was a positive outcome to sound doctrine being shared, and it did silence me. I no longer taught those things. Oh, um, good. So, yeah, there's 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 a positive outcome. <laughs> yeah, Mike, <laughs> your Snickers, pretty funny, but um, and you know that made a difference. That that changed the trajectory of my thinking. So, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I think th- I think one of the biggest problems we have within the church today are the, are the Reform people, especially, especially those who have been to Master Seminary, John MacArthur's place, because they're taught that they're right and they will not accept anything other than what they're teaching. And they will, they will meet with you and talk to you, but they are not budging. You know, they are not budging. Okay. Last question. Courtney, are you ready? Who was the prophet that was talked about? In uh, this verse um, 12, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans always are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. The guy's name was Epimendes, who lived in the 6th century B.C. and was regarded by his contemporaries as a prophet a great religious reformer and a predictor as well as a poet. He's the one that came up with the line that cretins are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons from one of his writings. He received wide acceptance in the Greek world as being true. 
And Paul agrees with them. <laughs> with uh, the writings of verse 13, this testimony is true. The Cretans generally uh, tended to be liars, uh, beastly people, lazy and gluttons. I find it interesting, a guy 600 B.C., 600 years before Paul lives, he's going to quote this guy to talk about the people on Crete. I wouldn't like to have that talked about. The people of Denver are liars, beastly, lazy, and gluttons. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy about that. Okay, now, of course. Because your character didn't change in six centuries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Six centuries have been trying to improve the old man and, and nothing. <laughs> that's right. Dude, I also think, too, is it's like that's still today. You're a Cretan. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a it term. is. That's how many thousand years yeah. later that term is still. I didn't. I never knew. It I didn't either. This. I didn't and either. Thinking about it, it's like you're a Cretan. You know, it's like that's a term that's, well, maybe not as used much now, but that uh, it stems from this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. Well, you can work on the word refute. All right. All right. We are now in lesson five, if you have it. And this is going to be, I can probably almost just get over the uh, verses we're going to cover in this one. Again, chapter one, and uh, these verses we're going to cover on lesson five are verses 13 through 16. So uh, I'll go ahead and just read the verses there on your lesson. But um, uh, Titus 1, 13 through 16 in the New American Standard. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all thing to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but their deeds, by their, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. <laughs> How'd you like to be described as that? That's uh, yeah, high praise right there. Again, with you know, we're following through and all this. And the other thing I think about too is we'll get started. You know, just barely here is <laughs> think you're Titus and Paul says go to go to Crete these are the people you're going to minister to and he's laying out all these things they're liars they're cheat they're gluttons they're terrible people go have fun go have your ministry in in Crete and I'm, I'm thinking is, is Titus going can I offer to be in uh, Corinth or Ephesus or Thessalonica, anywhere else but Crete? Because he, he's now finding out that uh, Paul is giving him all the background on these people, and it's like, man, why am I why am I the guy going here? But he willingly goes and and uh, is ministering there. So um, we'll just barely get started on this. Uh, the word, well, yeah, basically just. Read the verses. So question one, the word refute found in verse nine and the word reprove in verse 13, both translate the same Greek word. What is the difference in context? So first we'll read uh, verses seven through nine for the context of refuting. 
So, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that's key, the foundation, so that he will be both able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So first we see that refuting is is in context with the responsibilities of an elder. Also we see that in contrast with the first responsibility of exhorting in sound doctrine. So this stems from the verse 9 that expresses that elder by and us by association need to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. So again the the key is it's kind of like the whatever that we have in front here knowledge before the facts and the tracks and all whatever i haven't used that one in a long time but you need to know first you got to be grounded first before you can ever refute anybody if you're not you're refuting somebody on the on a false basis and where are you at if you if you're not with sound doctrine and you try and refute somebody what ground are you on so as the elder needs to be on sound doctrine we also if we are to refute somebody and it's kind of what we just went through uh you know silencing somebody the elders are to do that but also we are to be, well, as we'll, we'll see, you know, scripture is, is to refute, to exhort, to all the, the basis of what you can use scripture for. And it is to refute, but you have to know sound doctrine. That is the key. I think we don't want to miss that first step, which is sound doctrine. So, um, the, uh, I guess the, I guess kind of getting it. What is the principle? Ex- expressed here with refuting someone who contradicts God's word. And basically, I giving the answer, in order to refute someone who contradicts the scripture, you must know and hold fast God's word. So, and I, I was talking to, <laughs> talking to you, if you remember, and Miles, you remember, Wanda, who was here. She always used to love when I quoted out of, out of Zodiades or Webster's dictionary. So I've, I've gone back to Webster's. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm in my back of my mind. I'm hearing Wanda going, Oh, Webster's or Zodiades. So from Webster's dictionary, refute means to prove wrong by argument or evidence, show to be false or, or erroneous. Or the second is deny the truth of uh, the truth or accuracy of something. So, how effective or, or correct can you refute someone if you do not know accurately God's word? So, again, the refuting has to be based on on knowledge, the truth. You can't refute if you don't know the truth or you don't know the, the scripture. You can't do that because you're on shaky ground at that point, too. So, again, the when he says refute, it's based on uh, to to deny the truth. So you have to know the truth or that accuracy. You have to know it accurately. So again, the refuting is, is, uh, the key of refuting is the basis of knowledge and truth and, and the truth that you know in God's word. So, um, shoot, I don't know. We're already two minutes over. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> Um, we'll get into it and we'll get into how the Greek also, not only Webster, but how, and Wanda is shaking now, and Zodiades and the word, uh, and it is the same word, both refute, um, uh, uh, refute or, uh, reprove. So it's the same word, but a little bit different, uh, uh, meaning behind it. So we'll get into the Greek a little bit. And it, it's kind of, I hate to be Greeky geeky, but, but it is kind of interesting to see 
the word and how it's used, but then also the uh, the Greek mood tense uh, and, and and that ha- it different. It's two different ones here too, which also gives you an indication of uh, what they mean by the word, what Paul meant by the word. So anyway, we'll get into all that next week, and uh, well, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you again for this time. We thank you again for your word. Again, as we get into it, uh, uh, what we see is the qualification for the elder and what they need, but also by extension uh, for us to be able to ground, be grounded in your word. So to be in season and out of season, anytime to be able to defend our faith and that faith, uh, the defending is based on knowledge, knowledge of your word and the accurate uh, uh uh, deciphering of your word. So we just, uh, we pray for that for each and every one of us. And, uh, again, that, uh, when we have to refute, it's based on, uh, the truth. So we just, uh, uh, pray for Roger in the next meeting, uh, just bringing forth the word accurately and to, uh, prepare our hearts to receive it. And we, uh, again, just thank you for this day and your blessings this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.